0: welcome to this bbmri eric it podcast i'm eleanor Shemba, head of outreach education and communications and i'll be exploring a paper with you that was recently published in nature It illustrates a lightweight distributed provenance model designed for complex real-world environments. It's been researched and written by a wide-ranging group of experts, and it's a pleasure to be joined by two of them, BBMRI staff Rudolf Wittner, who's our IT scientist, and Peter Holub, our chief IT officer. They're going to talk through why this model matters so much in the field of medical research data. But first, Peter... Tell me about who was involved in this paper and how it came about.
1: Hello, Eleanor, and thanks for uh, the opportunity to discuss this topic. The work has started uh, already about five years ago, uh, when we were at the peak of the medical research reproducibility crisis, as we have been witnessing through series of publications in the last almost two decades that were showing uh, that the irreproducibility rates uh, in the medical research are ranging somewhere between 50 and 90 percent. And we realized uh, that we need to start, in, start something new and uh, take things from academic research groups that are working on the provenance, which is a machine-readable history of objects and take it as something that can be adopted uh, practically by academicians from the non-commercial academic research environments as well as industrial research environments in order to improve the situation on that reproducibility matter. This is why we started uh, the work on standardization of the provenance information. In, within the ISO working group uh, T276 Biotechnology with the aim to support both of those uh, worlds that are living sometimes in parallel, the commercial, the industrial, pharma uh, world, as well as the academic research world, and bring them together on a standard that would allow machine-readable documentation of the history of different research objects.
0: And it wasn't just you and Rudolf that did this. Who else has been involved in this project?
1: Oh, yes. I would say the work has been started primarily by three persons. Uh, It was uh, Jörg Geiger uh, from University of Wurzburg. It was uh, Gianluigi Zanetti from CRS4, who unfortunately passed away two years ago, and myself. And uh, we're leading the ISO standardization group uh, on this together with Yark.
0: Thank you, and Rudolf, um, before we get too much into the technical aspects of this paper, can you start by defining what provenance means in research data?
2: Uh, sure, as Peter mentioned, um, provenance information is uh, basically a documentation of an object uh, it's machine-readable documentation of an object. So it means that it can be uh, generated and processed by computers. And because we are in research, it's not any object. It must be a research object, which means a data. It could be a biological sample from which data was generated. It could be an AI model. It could be a um, computational workflow, for example.
1: So what is important is to realize that a provenance can document the history of both digital objects and physical objects and interlink those things together.
0: Um, And I'll come on to that in a minute, but it's interesting because it is a W3C um, provenance model that we'll we'll discuss in a bit. Um, And that is around the digital aspect, but provenance goes back pre-digital in telling Proving the story of something essentially, would you is that about right?
1: It is right, and here we're basically dealing with the same thing. Uh, because in order to support reproducibility in the first place, we need to have traceability, and the traceability does not guarantee 100% reproducibility because you can have different cohorts of patients, you can have different methods uh, that are configured somewhere, somewhat differently, and even if you run the same method uh, on very similar samples, you still get somewhat different results. That is the nature of uh, our real world. But at least you should be able to go through those steps uh, that the researcher before you has done, it means trace those steps back and then try to reproduce them and have knowledge how those things were done in sufficient detail. And ideally have the documentation in a machine readable way, as Rudolf has pointed out, so that it's not written in some lab books uh, that are then lost uh, under the uh, layers of dust. Uh, but it's something that machines can also process uh, and can we can make sense out of those things by the power of computational processing because as you may imagine uh, those provenance graphs can be actually huge uh, in the long run uh, as they're covering everything from for instance going backwards from an ai model uh, through the data and the configuration of training of the model through how the data was generated through uh, if the data was was coming from the biospecimen, how the biospecimen was handled all the way backward to how the sample was acquired. If it was acquired from an environment or if it was uh, uh, acquired from a donor, a patient, for instance. So, uh, and when you do this for thousands and thousands of samples and different data sets, uh, of course, those graphs are something that. Uh, it's very hard to work with on manual basis. So we need to make sure that those things are computationally processed. And this is exactly what uh, the provenance information is aiming for.
0: So I'm going to pick up on on the machine learning aspect of it now, because you applied this model to digital pathology, um, where imaging technologies and machine learning are used to train AI models to essentially diagnose cancerous prostate tumours. Why does, you've started to answer this, but perhaps you could be a bit more specific. Why does this matter for our field of biobanking and the life science research more generally?
1: Well, this is one specific example. And because in BBMRI, we have uh, quite vibrant uh, digital pathology AI communities. uh, We started uh, with these communities. And also because these are relatively nice role models uh, for how the research looks like in practice, that you're basically having a whole chain that starts with the donors, with the patients that are willing to donate uh, their uh, biological specimen for the research purposes. These are often either uh, tumor samples that are retrieved during a surgery or some biopsies that, be done also as a part of preventive programs. So not only uh, cancerous tissues uh, are available for research purposes here. And these are then scanned uh, using high performance uh, so-called whole slide uh, imaging technologies, uh, systems of scanners that are uh, able to generate about 10 to 20 gigapixels uh, per single slide. And these uh, slides, histopathological slides, this means uh, glasses uh, on which the tumor is mounted uh, and stained uh, with specific coloring uh, agents or staining agents, Uh, it's scanned. And then nowadays, mostly manually examined by the pathologist, but in the future, they're uh, subject to an AI analysis. And this is a very thriving domain uh, currently, where a different commercial as well as academic groups are training uh, models for either supporting pathologists in their assessment or even almost replacing pathologists. And of course, for this, you need to have the complete trace, as uh, I have described it. So uh, somewhere in the hospital, you need to know uh, what patients were used for obtaining uh, the biological specimen. You need to know how the biological specimen uh, uh, were handled, how they were processed, how they were uh, eventually formalin-fixed and paraffin-embedded and stained uh, using some, some staining method, how exactly the uh, Images were generated because this can lead also to serious uh, quality assurance problems, as uh, of course no method is perfect and those imaging methods have their own uh, issues as well. And then how the data was taken into the computational process of uh, developing of training AI models and uh, all of this then needs to be serialized uh, to the provenance information. And another important thing is uh, we need to be able to capture complex distributed environments that are spanning multiple different institutions. So the the patients start in the hospital uh, where the samples are retrieved, but eventually the biobank can be without within the same hospital or can sit somewhere outside uh, where the samples are stored. The image uh, acquisition can be done in yet another institution and the uh, the development of uh, AI models uh, is quite often done by computer science groups that are sitting outside of the, um, of the originating institution. So we need a provenance model that allows you to capture all of this, and work in in the real-world environments.
0: You've already touched upon um, the issues around reproducibility and traceability. So I want to get to the core of what's original about your model as a team. Um, I've mentioned W3C. uh, uh, My background's in web. um, But this is the domain of of the digital world. And so they've been involved in getting together a set of guidelines called W3C-PROV to help map out these processes. But core to your model is the provenance backbone and the connectors. Um, Rudolf, can you explain what they mean, um, how they're novel to your model and why they help?
2: Yeah, the, the novelty lies in the ability to be used in a distributed environment, such a distributed environment that Peter mentioned. Um, W3C-PROF is a provenance model, which is generic. It's its main feature. So it can be applied to a wide range of different domains. And because uh, this adoption typically happens without any coordination, uh, the resulting solutions are and not interoperable. So uh, this means that the resulting provenance information can be integrated into the common, common chain. And this is exactly what uh, we addressed in the common provenance model. So its main feature is that it enables integration of provenance from different sources in a way that the resulting provenance can be processed by a single or, let's say, unified algorithm. And this part of provenance is called provenance backbone. This part is, let's say, highly standardized part of provenance, which very strict structure. And then uh, the domain-specific parts, which are different, for example, for biological samples handling and data processing, these domain-specific parts are attached to the backbone. And yeah, that's that's it. And you have asked about the connectors. So the connectors are entities or, um, yeah, let's say entities in provenance graphs, which are used to navigate through the distributed provenance chain. So connectors contain information about where to find and how to find consecutive or preceding uh, provenance part in the whole provenance chain.
1: And Rudolf, maybe you could also mention something about the jump links, uh, because that is an interesting part dealing with uh, the inherently unreliable uh, nature of our world, so to say. And of course, uh, in a perfect world, you would always have complete traces of uh, provenance for for everything. But in reality, it can be quite different, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is. In uh, in our model, we cannot presume that uh, each part of uh, the distributed provenance chain will be created according to the proposed model or that it will exist at all, which is uh, sometimes the current problem and for that reason we have introduced something what is called uh, jump connectors and this is special kind of entity in provenance which enables us to navigate through provenance chains which are not complete and this is also something which can be used if, for example, an organization that is responsible for uh, generating or storing uh, provenance information, if it cease to exist. So, for example, it bankrupts or just anything.
0: (laughs) That's really helpful. So if I try and describe this, you can tell me if I've got it wrong. But so we've got this this backbone that forms... um, the backbone from which there are samples of data collected about this sample that's going on a journey towards a set of data. Is that right? And so in my role as in that process, I using your connectors, I might see a little bit of the information before and I send the information as I pass it on, Uh, but I can't see the whole chain and we'll come on to why in a bit. Um, But if I have an off day and I haven't entered my data correctly, so there's missing data in the chain, it hasn't broken the chain, is that right? Exactly. Right, thank you. Thank you, that's really helpful. So hopefully um, we can picture that. Um, And and that takes into account the fallibility of of people because ultimately people are involved and as much of this will be and is automated People are involved in that process. So if we think about the journey of data and it starts with that patient sample and it ends up as data for AI to learn and then helpful, be helpful in terms of medical research, I know this might sound like a daft question, um, but in the graph representation of your model, the arrows go backwards from the data set used for the AI training, which because we think of a model going in a linear way, perhaps from left to right, why does it do that? Why do the arrows go backwards, Rudolf?
2: Um, yeah, It's an implicit, uh, let's say, setting. Because given a data set, we are typically interested in history of the data set. And this is why it goes backwards. So from the data set, we want to find out how uh, the data set was generated, what are precursors of of the data set. So this, this is the reason.
0: Thank you. I know it's really obvious, but you know it's a bit like being an archaeologist and digging through layers of, of uh, evidence, isn't it? So we go backwards in time in that way. Thank you.
1: Maybe Eleanor, if I may, uh, there are actually uh, links going in both directions. Uh, so the uh, the backward direction is the mandatory direction, uh, so that uh, you can always trace back what has happened, uh, but. Uh, it's also possible to implement forward links. And these might be relevant, for instance, if uh, somebody realizes that there was an error in generating the data, uh, uh, all the recipients of the data can be notified about uh, a corrected version of the data set, for instance. Uh, But these are optional because that forward path or that forward uh, set of links can be very huge uh, as if you're releasing the data to uh, numerous users and especially if you're sharing some data openly which is not the case for human data and human biological material of course Uh, but if you're dealing already with some computer generated data sets this can be really huge as uh, things may be downloaded uh, automatically even by anonymous people on the internet or more or less anonymous people on the internet Uh, so that's that is why the backward direction is mandatory and the forward direction is sort of optional.
0: That's really helpful because it also describes the links that you were talking about earlier, about filling in those gaps. Something we've started to pick up on is the fact that in the process, a little bit of the data before and passing the data on is known, but never the full chain. Um, And there are understandable concerns about how, as patients, our data is treated. Peter, how does your model help protect the privacy of the patient?
1: So this is a relatively complex question uh, despite you can articulate it uh, very easily. Um, basically we decompose the uh, provenance chain uh into components into bundles uh on which you can have specific authorization models. So what you could what you can in principle do is uh For instance, if you have a researcher that is interested uh, about the history of uh, the research data uh, that they're going to use for uh, an AI model development, they can trace it back uh, using the provenance up to the point they're authorized to. And that might be, for instance, up to the scanning facility But then the link to the biological material, or namely the last step, which is from the biological material to the human, to the donating human looking in the backward uh, direction. uh, That is something that requires uh, strong authorization, and it's usually limited uh, to the personnel of the given source institution, the hospital or the medical facility that is uh, acquiring the the biological material. So. For instance, uh, in this simple case, where when the researcher is interested uh, about the quality of the data that is coming into the modeling, they would be and probably should be allowed to get up to the scanning or up to the biological material so that they know from what type of the material the data was generated if it was of adequate quality. But they don't need to know the identity of the donor in the beginning. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, if there is a concern, public concern, for instance, about the trustworthiness of, of the data, like we had in the COVID times, uh, the, the scandal with Sergisphere, um, then there might be a police investigation. And the police investigation will try to reveal if the data was fabricated data or if it's real trustworthy data coming from real donors. And then, of course, the authorization uh, is is fundamental that for the police. Uh, they would be as a part of the prosecution upon uh, being allowed by court. Uh, they would be authorized to check that in the hospital, going back on the chain up to the, uh, to the donor and check if, if those donors ever existed, for instance. So on each of that provenance component, that bundle, you're able to apply authorization decisions based on the identity of the person who is trying to get access, uh, and also possibly based on the context of that. And of course, when we work with uh, the data in its pseudonymous form, then uh, or identifying form uh, but that is usually not a case for research then you are able to make the the complete chain backwards at least in principle not everybody might be able to access the complete chain but you're able to make that chain uh, once you anonymize the data which is sometimes used for privacy protection of uh, research participants as well when for instance there might not be a legal basis for processing the personal uh, data, which means pseudonymized or identifiable uh, data, um, then the provenance chain stops at that point. So you would have only information about how anonymization was done, but uh, you're intentionally cutting the link to the preceding steps of the process to where the data has come from and how how the anonymized data, from what data the anonymized data was actually uh created and that is by the definite at least in the gdpr sense and we're working in the european context so for us the gdpr general data protection regulation is the basis for the terminology we're using uh in that sense this is an inherent uh property of uh of anonymized data set that you're intentionally cutting that link
0: you've already thank you you've already started to talk about why that matters this this provenance model matters for the for the medical researcher. Um, and I think that's really clear in terms of traceability, in terms of reproducibility, the provenance, the story of a sample. Um, who else do you want to reach with this model? I mean
1: from my perspective it's uh I would say from our perspective, it's uh anybody who goes along that research chain so it's from the hospitals or medical facilities uh, that are origins of the data that are origins of the biological material through biobankers that are processing the biological material and integrating the data and generating the data from the biological material um, to the researchers uh, that are then examining history of the data so that they can assess uh, fitness for purpose, uh, for the given purpose. And uh, ideally, the provenance makes this all machine queryable and machine computable, if you will, uh, in a way that you can describe, for instance, that fitness for a purpose for a particular method as a set of constraints on the provenance. For example, in order to feed the data into uh, some digital pathology AI model, when we were uh, already using this example in this podcast, uh, you can only integrate the data that have been stained with uh, some well-defined staining system that is the specific coloring how the biological material is colored in order to show different properties that are relevant Uh, also the the scanning should be done consistently so you should know what is the resolution of the scanner and uh, what is the resolution of the resulting image so that you're integrating things uh, on a meaningful basis and this can all be expressed uh, or Constructed as a set of constraints on, on the provenance information, which allows you to select uh, what data is possible to use for the for training of the given AI model. And eventually, in the future, you may use it even for searching uh, such data in catalogs of different data sets.
0: You've described a load of people involved in that process who ultimately have a stake in making sure that the data that they're putting into this model matters uh, in terms of its quality. So that's really helpful. Um, Last of all, I think this isn't the end of this. You've put this paper out there. It it describes um, in detail, visually, it's really great how the backbone, the connectors, the links, the provenance model works and its applicability. And you've done that really well with with the example that you've used in uh, prostate tumours. But it isn't the end of this story. So, Rudolf, tell us what's next for your provenance model research.
2: Yeah, so so far we have designed the uh, parts of the common provenance model, I mean the, the backbone and the connectors, and we have applied it for the use case. And now we need to focus on the documentation of specific uh, parts of um of research pipelines. For example, we need to uh, develop how provenance information of biological material should look like. We need to set some requirements and define how data generation and data processing uh, should be documented. In addition to this, um, let's say, domain-specific parts, uh, we need to work on further Properties of the model, and my current focus is non-repudiation of provenance, which means that um, you should, as an author of provenance information, you should have no possibility to later deny that you have created particular part of provenance, which might be very useful at court. And um, yeah. For example, if there is police investigation, you need to make sure that um, the information is uh, trustworthy, it was not corrupted, and it really comes from the source, which is specified.
1: And maybe we can say that, uh, of course, as we said in the beginning, in the introduction, uh, the, the provenance is not the ultimate solution to all the problems of reproducibility in this world it's uh namely focusing on the traceability part the data lineage and the biological material lineage uh, but uh, we also need to work on this reproducibility aspects uh in parallel with with the traceability so there are now ongoing efforts in the community on making for instance, training of AI models reproducible. Uh so that then uh, people are minimizing those natural margins of uh natural sources of uh irreproducibility that are always inherent to our world. They're minimizing it uh to the extent that is possible. Of course, uh you can't minimize the uh, the variants or uh, the variability in in the donors that are coming into into the cohorts because that is the natural part of uh, our world but at least for those steps uh, that we can influence and where we can minimize uh, the the variability uh we're trying to do that but that is uh going far beyond the provenance research and provenance standardization as such.
0: Peter, Rudolf, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Eleanor, thanks as well from my side. It was great time uh, spent here with you and let's talk at another opportunity on other topics we're working on in BBMRI IT community.
2: Yeah. Thank you very much, Eleanor, for inviting us. Thank you.
0: We'll be keeping you up to date with the development of the provenance model research and the directions that it'll be taking over the next few years. So check back on our social media, which is BBMRI-Eric on Twitter, and we're also on as BBMRI-Eric on LinkedIn. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. <laughs> mm <laughs>